This is Cybok, the cybersecurity body of knowledge, distilling the knowledge from internationally recognized experts and providing foundational education and training for the cybersecurity sector. Hello and welcome to Cybok. I'm Dave Bittner from the Cyberwire. Joining us today is Professor Frank Piesens from the Computer Science Department at KU Leuven. He's author of the Cybox Software Security Knowledge Area. How does software security fit in cybersecurity? Uh, well, I think most people will agree that uh, software is a very important part of cyberspace, right? So, um, uh, internet connected devices have a ton of software on them. Your phone has tens of millions of lines of software. A modern car, uh, cars are also internet connected these days, have hundreds of millions of lines of software. Um, hence, that software is incredibly complex. Uh, you, I think it's fair to say that some of the software systems we build today are among the most complex engineering artifacts ever built. Right? Mm. Uh, and so we have learned through experience that it's impossible to get software of this complexity completely correct. There will be bugs in there. Uh, and so uh, software security is about, to some extent, about these bugs. Uh, so um, the software may work well in the common cases, but there may be many, many corner cases that the software does not anticipate will ever happen. Um, and that when they happen can make the software misbehave completely. And that's what we study in software security. Um, so we call these bugs software vulnerabilities. Uh, they are faults, errors, mistakes in software that can cause the software to completely misbehave and clearly that has security consequences and we want to get a grip on this. So that's essentially the, the, the viewpoint that the software security knowledge area of, of the Cyborg takes. Uh, a more academic definition of software security would be to say, look, for software we have some kind of security objective. Eh? We wanted to keep certain information secret. Uh, we want to spell out, we want to specify that security objective. And then software security is about making sure that the software we build complies with that objective. And these are, in a sense, two sides of the same coin because the vulnerabilities that I talked about before, if these are present in your software, likely any security objective you might have for the software, like keep these secrets confidential, will also be broken because you can use these vulnerabilities to do such terrible bad things, essentially. Hmm. Well, let's walk through the various categories of vulnerabilities. How do we organize them here? So th there is no generally agreed categorization of vulnerabilities. Essentially, there are different kinds of mistakes you can make. Um, so we have, make, we have made a, a specific choice in the, in the Cyborg classification that is influenced uh, by the impact that these vulnerabilities have had in the past. How important have they been? And so uh, categories that we discuss are, for example, a very important one are uh, memory management uh, vulnerabilities. So essentially, these are mistakes you can make in how you manage the memory of your computer program. If you write software in a language like C or C++, um, what you have to do is allocate and deallocate the memory that you will use to store data yourself. And if you make mistakes in that, um, it may happen that an attacker can cause corruption of memory, can cause uh, data to be stored in memory areas that should not be messed with. And because computers store everything in memory, this is an example of a situation where really bad things can happen. So you can overwrite the code of the program, for example, and the program can 
start behaving completely different or you can override important data of the program and hence um, the program will again behave in completely unexpected ways so these kinds of the, so the most famous one of these uh, memory management vulnerabilities is what is known as the buffer overflow uh, where you where software writes uh, beyond the allocated space of memory, writes data beyond the allocated space of memory, and hence corrupts a part of memory, um, and and then you can have all the consequences that I just uh, mentioned. Now there are some other uh, vulnerabilities that you outline here: things like race condition vulnerabilities, API vulnerabilities, side channel vulnerabilities. Lots of different things come into play here. Yes, that's true. So and and even the categorization we have here is is by no means complete. There are uh, different so es essentially the question here is how many ways can you mess things up uh, you mm -hmm. can be you can bring a bit of structure into this um, for example the side channel vulnerabilities that uh, you mentioned have received quite a bit of attention in in recent years so, so some of your audience may have heard of of things like uh, spectre and meltdown and foreshadow so um, uh, essentially side channel vulnerabilities are again mistakes in this case both in hardware and in software that make it possible for to retrieve secrets from software um, by observing side effects that were never intended for communication um, and so uh, if you have these kinds of vulnerabilities they may allow an attacker to extract secrets uh, from your uh, from your computer application in ways that you never expected um, the other examples you mentioned race conditions uh, it's very hard to reason about concurrent software it's uh, we, we tend to think about programs as executing sequentially uh, so um, it may be that when you reason about your code sequentially uh, it does exactly what you expect but if an attacker succeeds doing stuff on the side in parallel uh, again bad things might happen eh? you might perform a check that all is fine so for example uh, Think of an e-commerce application you would check that the total price uh, of the shopping cart is the sum of the price of the items in the shopping cart then you ask for payment of that total and then you start shipping out all the items in the cop in the shopping cart sequentially this is a perfectly fine thing to do but if an attacker can concurrently change what is in the shopping cart then he can wait until you have done the checks and then before you do the shipping, add a number of items to the shopping cart, for example. That's, a, that's mm -hmm. an example of a race. If, if your software allows that, if you have e-commerce software that allows this, that's an example of a race condition vulnerability. Uh, and clearly, that's under, undesirable from a security point of view. Yeah? You might get more, shipped, uh, more stuff shipped to you than you paid for, for example. Hmm. Well, let's walk through the methods of prevention that you've outlined here. Yes, so so we we consider in the in the in the knowledge area different ways of dealing with these problems. Uh, we consider uh, prevention, detection, and mitigation. And so, in terms of prevention, the, the question is, how how can you make sure that bugs like the ones I mentioned uh, are never introduced in your software? Um, and of course, you you cannot in general prevent any kind of bug from entering software but there are specific classes of bugs that you can weed out completely and a good example are the memory management uh, vulnerabilities we talked about earlier um, by by taking the responsibility for memory management out of the hands of the programmer and making it 
the responsibility of the compiler or the programming language itself, you can essentially weed out that category of bugs. And that's what safe languages like, like Java, for example, do. You, you don't have things like buffer overflow uh, in Java because it's the language and the compiler that take care of memory management. And they're much, much less likely to make a mistake in this than a, than a human developer. So that's what prevention is about. Uh, what, can, what can you do at the level of programming language languages, at the level of type systems, or very pragmatically at the level of um, review of your code, for example, um, uh, guidelines, what kind of guidelines can you give developers? Uh, if they follow these guidelines, it might be less likely that they introduce the, these bugs, these software vulnerabilities that we talked about. I guess the contrast between relying on the programmers themselves to use best practices uh, to prevent these versus having um, the preventions sort of baked into the system itself. Exactly. So, so where you can bake them into the system themselves, you should. Uh, because if you can program essentially the compiler, for example, to take care of these issues, well, the compiler will not make mistakes in this. If you put the responsibility with people, well, people are a bit more error prone. Um, they will forget uh, to, to apply these rules once every so many times, uh, leading to the introduction of a new vulnerability. On the other hand, the, of course, we can only introduce enforcement of these kinds of rules in the system itself, in the language, in the compiler, once we understand the category of vulnerabilities well, right? Uh, so the, the new kinds of mistakes you make will come up and not, and it, it's definitely not the case that for all these kinds of vulnerabilities, we already know how to proactively prevent them uh, through, for example, programming language design. Yeah, it's interesting. And then I suppose you also have to rely that uh, that there are, are no bugs in the compiler itself. That's true. That's true. So, so um, if you put the responsibility with the language and the compiler, then bugs in the compiler might lead to vulnerabilities in the compiled code. Uh, but again, I think experience has shown that it's um, a safer bet than putting the responsibility with the developer. Uh, also, if, if the compiler is buggy, um, well, one fix will then immediately fix every program it compiles, right? So you have a, a kind of a scale effect there um, that you don't have on individual developers. If an individual developer makes a mistake, okay, he can learn from it, and next time he will do better. But you don't have the scale effect of if you fix the compiler, everything it compiles will now be protected. Let's move on to the section where you discuss the detection of vulnerabilities. For, for cases where prevention is not possible, um, we don't know how to do it yet, or maybe you already have code um, that was written in a language that was not designed to avoid a certain class of vulnerabilities, then uh, detecting uh, these vulnerabilities is important. And again, there's a wide range of techniques here, and, and the purpose of the, of the knowledge area, the purpose of this, this chapter of Cyborg is not to discuss these all in detail, but kind of to give pointers to the, the wide uh, body of knowledge that is out there. Roughly speaking, there are two ways to detect uh, these vulnerabilities. One is called static detection. So you're gonna analyze the program source code um, to find issues and point and point them out to the developer. Or you can do dynamic detection. That's kind of a, a kind of testing essentially. So you will run the program with inputs that you select to um, to be likely to, to trigger a security issue, for example. You, and, and then you will uh, detect the, the vulnerabilities uh, through these 
security tests, essentially. So these are the two big categories of uh, detection techniques, static detection and uh, dynamic detection. Well, and then, of course, once you've detected uh, problems, you have to move on to mitigation. Exactly. And so, well, that, that actually, um, if you detect vulnerabilities, one thing you can do is fix the bug in your code, right? So mm. the, the, the purpose of detection is you can you can use it while it's it's like testing for functionality bugs. Um, if 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 during detection you find a bug, you can think about how to fix it in your source code. Um, so that's one kind of mitigation. But mitigation is a more broad term um, where you also care about bugs that may remain in the software at runtime. So once we know that the complex software we write will always have bugs, we can also ask ourselves. Um, well, let's accept this. Let's accept that software that we build has these vulnerabilities. Are there things that we can do to kind of make it less likely that harm can be done by exploiting these bugs? And that's a whole category of countermeasures that we group under the header of mitigation. Uh, so can we execute the software in a different way such that attackers will have a harder job to attack our software. And, and for example, a very uh, simple example there is um, by introducing randomization, for example, by, uh, by introducing randomization in how we put stuff in memory, um, it gets harder for an attacker to uh, exploit a memory corruption bug because mm. things will be in different places for every program out there. And, and so just doing this, we don't, we don't know where the bugs are, so we can't remove them. There are still bugs in the software, but by just by doing this, by randomizing the layout of how we put a program in memory, we already make it harder for an attacker uh, to exploit these vulnerabilities. And so that's the general category of mitigation. And there, again, is a wide variety of knowledge on this. Um, and, uh, and the chapter has pointers to a variety of techniques um, to mitigate the exploitation of these vulnerabilities. You know, it seems to me that um, over the past few years, there's been an emphasis on uh, security being a part of the process from the get-go, rather than uh, you know security happening after the fact, uh, software is written, and then there's a security analysis done, that it really needs to be part of the whole process. Exactly, exactly. That's kind of the, the uh, security, uh, build security in a trend that is indeed a very important uh, trend in software security. There is a, an, another chapter in the uh, Cybok uh, knowledge areas that ha that specifically deals with this. So um, if you have to set up a software engineering process, how can you make sure that you deal with security early on, how, what kind of activities do you have to do during the uh, de uh, development of software um, to have a better chance of having a secure end product? Um, and indeed, I, I, I fully agree with you, uh, this is a best practice we should uh, strive towards. So we, we should consider security from the get-go. Um, when we start building systems, security should be a concern from day one. But that said, um, security is also by nature something that is a bit of a race between attackers and defenders, because there is no such thing as a perfectly secure system. If we close all vulnerabilities and problems of one kind, we are up against intelligent attackers. They will find other ways of exploiting the system. And hence, a system that is completely secure today, it, it patches all the vulnerabilities that we know today. If we look at it a couple of years later, there will be new attack techniques, new ways of exploiting software. And so, even though it's absolutely a good idea to um, think about security from day one, you will also have to have 
continuous monitoring of security in order to keep the system secure uh, during its lifetime. What about uh, on the educational front with uh, you know folks like you who are bringing up the next generation of uh, people working on these problems? Um, I suppose uh, security needs to be top of mind in the educational process as well. Uh, yes, I, I, I think so. Um, and at my home university, uh, at my home university, definitely, uh, we try to build attention for security into the computer science curriculum. Um, so um, we have a course on development of secure software. Uh, students are made aware of security issues uh, throughout the curriculum. Um, and actually, one of the goals of the CYBOC in general, of the cybersecurity body of knowledge in general, is to help academic institutions, as well as uh, people that do professional training, uh, think about elements of this body of knowledge do I want to integrate into my curriculum, into my uh, educational offerings, into my training offering, and so forth. Um, so I think this, this is one of the primary objectives of the CYBOC, is to help people consider of all this knowledge about cybersecurity, and it's very diverse, it's technical, it's legal, it's user interface aspects and so forth, of all this knowledge, what do I, what should I and what do I want to include in a specific academic curriculum or in a specific uh, training offer uh, to professional developers? That's Professor Frank Piesens from KU Leuven. To learn more about the Cyboc project and the knowledge area we spoke about today, visit cyboc.org. This podcast is a product of the University of Bristol. CYBOC is funded by the UK National Cybersecurity Programme and led by the University of Bristol's Professor Weiss Rashid, along with Professor Andrew Martin, Professor George Denisis, Professor Emil Lupu, Professor Steve Schneider, and Dr. Howard Shivers. The CYBOC podcast is produced by The Cyberwire with coordinating producers Jennifer Iben, Kelsey Bond, and Bristol University's Yvonne Rigby. The executive producer is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.